This is actually the third sermon in our series on anthropology, the doctrine of man. And what we want to look at today is what the scriptures actually teach us about what it means to be a human. What does it mean to be a person? And so the big question that I want us to look at today is what am I? We often ask the question, who are we? And we know the answer to that from Scripture. We are living beings created in the image of God, and we know why we are. We are on this planet to glorify God, to know, love, worship, and serve the living God who gave us earthly life, and through the ministry of His Son on the cross, called us to eternal life, so we know why we're here. But this morning, I want us to look at this text and try to answer the question, what are we when we say we are image bearers and we are human? One of the many biblical texts that address this question is is Paul's words to the Thessalonian believers that uh, are are before us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And what you find here at the end of this first letter, this first epistle, is a prayer that Paul has for these people, a very bold prayer for two things. And you can see it right in the text. And I've tried to highlight some of the important concepts in orange so that as I talk about them, you can kind of catch them visually. The first thing he prays is something that he prays for all of them. The first part of the prayer is a corporate prayer. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And he's talking about the entire congregation. It would be like Paul standing here and saying that about us. And he would look out at this entire group of people and he would say, my bold wish and my fervent prayer is that every one of you would be sanctified by the very God of peace, that he would sanctify you wholly. In other words, that every one of you, nobody would miss out on this sanctifying process. And that's a good prayer for Paul to pray for them. And it's a good prayer for us to pray for one another. But he moves from the corporate side of things to the individual side of things very quickly. And he says this, the second thing that he prays for is that God will apply this perfecting process, not just corporately to everyone, but as it is applied to everyone, that it will come down on the individual level and that it would completely sanctify every part of every person. And the way Paul expresses that is spirit soul and body. And it is his bold prayer that as God sanctifies the entire group, that every member of that group would be wholly or entirely or perfectly or thoroughly sanctified. And so as we come to this text, it helps us answer a question. What constitutes human personhood? What constitutes human personhood? Paul seems to be identifying personhood as comprised of three things, your soul, your body, and your spirit. And so as you kind of contemplate how personhood is divided up, you have to wrestle with what Paul's saying. Is he saying three things or is he saying two things? And he's using two of the words as synonyms. If you answer two things, then the theological way of describing you is a dichotomous. You believe that God designed human personhood to have two parts. If you think that there are three things Paul has in mind, body, soul, and spirit, then you are a trichotomist. And you can see how those words play out. So if you think the answer is two, then you might be a dichotomist. If you think the answer is three, you might be a trichotomist. 
I started out many years ago as an avowed trichotomist. And over the course of uh, my theological journey, I became an avowed dichotomist. And then about 10 years ago, as I began doing some work out of the Old Testament, I began to realize that the words that are used to describe human personhood, particularly in the Old Testament, are often used interchangeably. And so I began to move away from the idea of both dichotomy and trichotomy, and I've actually come to see that maybe the Scripture is actually causing us to identify ourselves as a unified whole. That we were never intended to divorce personhood from body. And this has become very common in our day because we live in a day where we have bought into the idea, and I'm not saying you have, but many people have bought into the idea that human personhood is something separate from their body. And so we hear things like, I am a human person trapped in an earthly body. And the person I am is not reflected in the body I have. And so I want to change my body so that it matches better to my person. And because we've divided up what human personhood is, I, I don't think the, 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 either the Old or the New Testament actually present human personhood in this way. I believe the best way to understand the whole teaching of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, is to see personhood in a holistic, integrated way as opposed to dividing it up into two or three, or five parts. Because Paul has three words. Moses is going to add a fourth word. He's going to add the word heart. And Jesus is going to add a fifth word. He's going to add the word mind. So am I two? Am I three? Am I five? And the Bible answer to that is you're one. You are a fully integrated whole. God did not design you just to be a body, and he didn't design you just to be a soul. He designed you to be an embodied soul. You are a complex, unified human being. You live in a complex body. Your body is comprised of at least five major organs and 13 major systems. And it's united and fully integrated to a very complex soul where the capacity to think and will and feel and create and educate and evaluate and communicate reside. You were never intended to be disembodied. God never designed you to be a body that just happened to have a soul or a soul that just happened to have a body. He created you as an embodied soul. And when, when life on this planet ends, there is a disembodiment, but that was never intended in the original design. And that disembodiment is temporary. It happens at death. And Paul says to be absent from the body is to what? Be present with the Lord. But the body that you're absent from is going to be reunited at the Lord's second coming. So you were intended to be an integrated, unified human being with both a material and an immaterial component inextricably woven together that makes up a whole person. You are an embodied soul. Now, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to be an embodied soul? And what it means is this, that there are five important, interrelated, fully integrated capacities that you have as a person. And they demand the integration of you as a unified person to be carried out. You have mental capacity, that's intellect, and cognitive ability, and reasoning, and memory, and thinking, and creating, and communicating. 
You have emotional capacity. That's feelings, passion, desire, motivation, affection, suffering, rejoicing. You have volitional capacity. That's will, judgment, the ability to make decisions, purposing, choosing. You have moral capacity. That's conscience, ethical awareness, a sense of scruples, sense of right or wrong, a sense of justice and equity and fairness, guilt, innocence, shame, honor, fear. This is all moral capacity. And then you have physical capacity, the ability to act, the ability to exert agency, the ability to make change, and the ability to enact choice. And you say, well, the first four I can locate apart from my body, but the point is you can't do the first four without a brain. You can't do anything that comes out of the first four without agency. And so God designed you not as two separate things. God designed you as an embodied soul so that every part of you is fully integrated and completely uh, interrelated so that you can serve God. By the way, the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, when he became incarnated, also became embodied. And he will be embodied for all of eternity. And he will share that with us. Now, what has happened to you since Genesis chapter 3 is that all of these capacities have been marred by sin. It may surprise you to know this, but God only made three perfect people. There are only three human beings on the planet that existed by the direct act of God's physical creation. Where God physically made three people. He made Adam, he made Eve, and then he made a body for his son, Jesus Christ. Every other image bearer on the planet came into existence through a divinely oriented, divinely designed, and divinely put in place process called birth and procreation. That was before the fall. God boundaried that in human relationship. He called it marriage. He boundaried it with a covenant. He made it sacred. You are the only created beings in the universe that have the privilege of making more image bearers. And there's a biological process by which God designed for all of the image bearers on the earth except two, and then later his son Jesus to come into existence. And that process was marred by sin, and it was impacted by the fall. And that's why some people, when they're born, have bodies that don't work well or that are missing things. And they start wondering, why did God make me this way? Well, God didn't make you that way. You came into existence through a biological procreational process that the creator designed and instigated and put in place, but that process was impacted by the fall. But God was not absent from that process. While you were being knit together in the womb, he was there. And he intends to redeem all of that. And that's what we discover. It's been marred by sin. It's been affected by the fall. But it is being redeemed by Christ. This is the whole point of Romans chapter 8. It is being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's talking about here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And it must be used redemptively by Christ in this life. When you come to Romans chapter 12, Paul says you are to do something with this body. You are to present it to God for his use. In Romans chapter 6, you used to take your body 
and you used to use your body for sin. You and your body interrelated together became instruments that Satan used for sin. And now you become that same kind of an instrument that God wants to use for righteousness. And one day your body will be restored to you and and reunited to you. And you will live in that body as an embodied soul, a unified embodied soul in a glorified state forever. You aren't just going to get a body that can only do what it can do now. You're going to get the body you have now, but when you get it back, when the Lord returns it to you and reunites it to that body, that body is going to have capacities that it doesn't have now. And if you want to know what some of those capacities are, you can see them in the glorified body of Jesus. This is a stunning reality. And that brings us to the third question. What does all of this mean for Christian personhood? I mean, if this is who we are, if we're one interrelated, integrated being, what does all of this mean for Christian personhood? Well, first of all, it means that our bodies matter. We can't just say the inner part of me is what matters and the outer part of me is basically disposable. It's not just your earth suit that you walk around for a few years in and you can do whatever you want to with it and then toss it when you're done. Your body matters. It matters immensely to God and it matters immensely to his purposes and it should matter immensely to you. It's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as a temple where the spirit of God resides. So your bodies matter. Secondly, you and I must serve God as whole people not just with our body or not just with our soul. There's no such thing as serving God in my heart and doing whatever I want with my body. I can't just go and say, God, I love you and I want to worship you in my mind and I want to worship you with my heart, but my body has these desires that it was designed for. It has these passions and it's equipped to fulfill those passions. And so I'm just going to go do what my body wants to do in my body, but in my heart and in my mind and in my soul, I'm going to serve you. The Bible does not allow you to think of yourself that way. You are an integrated whole. And whatever you do with your body, you're doing as a person. And whatever you do with your soul, you're doing as a person. So we must serve God as whole people. And that's true for sanctification. Sanctification is an integrated, holistic endeavor that involves our entire being, both soul and body. And the fact that our body and soul are inextricably integrated has massive implications for soul care. Things that happen in my soul, things that are going on in my soul can have massive influence in my body. And if I try to solve a soul problem with a body remedy, I'm probably not going to get very far. And there are things that happen in my body that have massive impact on my soul. And if I try to solve a body problem, which is prayer and fasting and Bible reading, I can get myself in a pile of trouble. I have to come as a whole human being and I have to say, okay, what's happening in my body at times creates things in my soul. And I have to address them first at that level and then at this level. And then there are things that are happening in my soul that happen to have impact on my body. And so I have to come as an inextricably integrated whole being. What happens in my soul affects my body and what happens in my body affects my soul. This is why spiritual edification and vocational preparation are whole person experiences. 
as you sit and you listen to God's word week after week or even here in chapel, as you sit and you listen to God's word, God is not just cleaning up your body and he's not just sanctifying your mind. He is taking you as a person and the word of God is edifying you as a person. It's shaping who you are, body and soul. Life training isn't just about training your body. It isn't just about getting a skill for your hand. It's about educating the whole person. That's one of the things that I think many of you have wisely deemed to be a part of your life. And that is to come to a place that is educating you as a whole person. It's not just giving you vocational training like the rest of you doesn't matter. Hey, if you're just good at accounting, it doesn't really matter what you're like as a person. And as long as you love God, it doesn't really matter how good of an accountant you are. You're at a place where those kind of divisions are not. You're being educated as a whole person. So that you are the kind of person, when you go out in the accounting world, that you are going to make an impact for God as a person and not just as an accountant. Your identity is not in your vocation. People say, what are you? And somebody says, well, I'm an accountant. I always want to say, no, 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 no. You are an image bearer. You are a person. You are a unified person that God is sanctifying so that he can use. And you happen to be an accountant, and that's your field where all of this is going to take place. You can name any field that you want. And so as we wrap up, what does all this mean for how you and I live right now? Let me give you just a few things. Number one, serve God with all that you are and not just what you have. Present your body and soul and mind to Christ as your reasonable and acceptable service. Come as a person. Don't just give him a part. Hey, today I'm giving you my body and tomorrow I might give you my mind. Come as a person. Respect your body. Take care of it and care for your soul. Rejoice in God's future for your body, which is glorification and your soul. And rest in wise, God's wise providence as you live as an embodied soul throughout this momentary, earthly, often painful existence. This is not the end. There is much more that God intends to do with you as a person, an embodied soul who lives for the glory of God. Lord, thank you so much. For our time together today, this is a complex topic. There's so much more that could have been said, and if we're honest, probably should have been said. And I pray that nothing I have said today would inadvertently counter anything that is true in your word about who you have designed us to be. Lord, as we give you thanks for who we are, we also want to thank you for what we are. And we want to ask you to take our bodies and our souls, our integrated person, and use them for your glory. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.